MFs, welcome back. Hustle like you broke. Second week of July. We will be airing probably around the third or fourth. Cases of coronavirus more than likely will be spiking once again come that time. I know Kyle takes exception when I refer to spikes, but I will say again, cases will be spiking yet again in the wake of the 4th of July. Everyone out there at this point, I'm sure, has seen and heard and was probably witness to the craziest 4th of July in my memory when it comes to fireworks ongoing at all times, in all directions. States can shut down. Cities can cancel. Everyone can say, no, we're not doing anything this year. We want people to stay home. We want them to shelter. We want them to distance, whatever the fuck. But the reality is I have never seen so much fireworks in my life. And knowing what happened after Memorial Day and seeing what's happened recently with the reopenings in Florida, where at least one of today's guests is located I think it's safe to say that come late July, if you are listening to this today for the first time, I just hope your state hasn't shut back down again, but I can't say it's an inevitability, but it definitely is an ongoing predicament. Now, I did say we have two guests today. This is a first in our podcast. We typically have one. Today, we have two. I will be introducing them in just a moment. But first, two things I would like to do. One, as I have promised, and I will say this in every opening from here until the second week of November, I want to remind all of you out there, left, right, no matter what you believe, please vote. Exercise your right. Use your voice. Speak up. Stand for what you believe in. Be the change that needs to happen in this country one way or the other. Again, I don't care if you're left or right. It's a lie. I actually do care. But whatever it is that you believe, vote your conscience. And not just for the president. Vote your conscience in state, local elections at all levels. And let's make this country and this world a better place, please. Because one day we will come out of this global pandemic. And when we do, first of all, we hope happens sooner than later. And second of all, we hope we come back to a better world. And with that in mind, three people here that always help me make this a better world. Christine Dallas, how are you today? I am getting along, carrying on. How are you? I am living the dream. A dream, at least. Nightmare, maybe, but it's dream. True that. Nightmare is kind of what it's becoming. And speaking of, no, just kidding. Not a nightmare in the least. One of my favorite humans on the planet, my good brother Banks. What is happening? Trying to stay cool over here sure it's a million degrees i'll tell you what's happening someone is shuffling paper oops <laughs> <laughs> i 
Definitely hear that. Bar the Banks, do you have a breakfast cocktail with you this morning? Nah, not today. I've got water. I'm trying to hydrate. It is extremely warm today in Southern California, so I am trying not to get started too early. I'll wait until the sun goes down to engage. So water today. Water for right now. That sounds very responsible of you. Kind of disappointed. And speaking of disappoint, no, again, I'm kidding. The person that I refer to routinely as Mr. Mother Motherfucker, Mr. Motherfucker. I will say that again. One of my other favorite humans on the planet. You see us in a room together. You're like, are these guys twins? Like we are like two peas in a pod. There's no question. Am I right or am I right, Kyle Hamilton? We are the motherfuckers. <laughs> Good evening, sir. How are you? I am fantastic on this fine afternoon. Yeah, I'm balanced as well. It's a good balance day. Thursdays, close to the weekend. Well, hell, we're on a, we're on a complete weekend right now with the coronation and all. I do have a very challenging question to ask of you this fine afternoon, Kyle Hamilton. Now, it is barely 12 noon as we are recording on the West Coast, yet you always, no matter what time of day, say good evening. Can you please tell our guests why that is? Well, good evening for me is that the fact that I have to advance shows globally, depending on if it's 5 a.m. my time, it could be evening somewhere else. Or if it's literally in the evening, I'm on the evening. So just to give me balance and to give me clarity, I just shoot say good evening all the time. Okay, I'll live with that. You have to, because it's my reasoning, not yours. And you are a motherfucker. I like the paperwork, too. That's so Ted Popple. <laughs> <laughs> Talk radio-isk. <laughs> well, I do aim for live, and that is what you get in a live broadcast setting. One of these days, we will go Technically, live. this is Memorex. <laughs> Someone's got jokes today. Does Memorex still exist? Yeah, it's called Samsung. Yeah. Hard recorder. Yeah, exactly. Hard drives. <laughs> Solid state. There it is. So today, as I referenced before, we actually have two guests on the program for the first time. Both of them come from the world of coach leasing. Both of them are highly regarded, among the best in the business, coming from two slightly different perspectives, which we thought would be fun. One of them is the owner and operator of the famed Florida coach, Mr. Caleb Calhoun. How are you, Caleb? Doing good, Matt. Thank you. Appreciate you being with us today. And the other, oh, I'm flipping through his bio. Also based in Florida. I think I knew that, though somehow I always feel like you live in Ohio or something. This gentleman is widely regarded as the savior of the bus business because when Caleb runs out of the best buses and stars in the industry, which Florida Coach very well has, and 
everyone who procrastinates in this industry and any of you managers out there who are listening, you know who the fuck I'm talking about. Stop fucking procrastinating. I'm just going to say it. Stop procrastinating. You're going to pay more. You're going to get shit for buses unless, unless this is our saving grace. This gentleman can find anything, anything at all. And I'm going to set him up right now. This gentleman is the person you should call because when you need the best star, the highest quality, something that, I mean, when you, when you need Caleb to come up with a bus that he doesn't have, this is who you call. You call Doug Shea. That's the world famous Doug Shea. <laughs> and modest at that. You better introduce him correctly. Do it again. <laughs> the world-renowned, highly regarded, best broker on the planet, anywhere you might be, on a moment's notice, if you need a coach that is equipped with everything, anything, all the toys, all the bells and whistles, if you need 14 buses, three stars, two B-party buses, how many is that? Nine C-party coaches, 14 in total, and what you are hearing when you make your round of calls is you might find one over here and one over there, and if you're coming at it late, none from, from Caleb and Florida Coach, because Florida Coach, I mean, I'm always astounded that six months, nine months, 12 months in advance, Florida Coach is booked, and kudos to Caleb for developing that business. But for those of us with clients who might not think that far in advance, Doug's the guy we end up calling. And he's always come through. How's that for Well, thank you. Thank you, thank you. No applause, please. I didn't hear any. Did you? I, I said no applause. <laughs> Doug, I mean, first of all, let, let, me, let me start. And am I right? Like, do, do, are you in Ohio some of the time? Why do I think that? I have a, a home in Ohio, yes. So I spend, when it gets too hot in Florida or too much COVID, I come up here to Ohio. So I wasn't wrong. Okay, and are you in Ohio right now? I am currently in Steubenville, Ohio, the home of Dean Martin and the world-famous Jimmy the Greek. Interesting. What part of Ohio is that? It's uh, eastern Ohio. It's about actually 20 minutes from Star Lake Amphitheater. I don't know what the new name on it is up there, but I've called it Star Lake Amphitheater. I'm sure everybody on this on this podcast has been there at least once in their life. I would say so. And and how are things in your area? Are people wearing masks? Are they distancing? Was the 4th of July crazy? You know, it, it, there's not a lot of social distancing going on. A few people were wearing masks, but I ran the numbers you know, West Virginia has the lowest uh, count of, of coronavirus, I think, in the country. When I was on my way up here, I stopped in Charleston, which is the capital of West Virginia, and I was talking to a girl in Kroger's, and she had just been to the hospital. And in the capital city, they have four cases. And I think by comparison, I think the, the number of total cases was like 3,800, which is pretty small compared to Florida in some of the other areas in the country. That is interesting. So up here, things are actually pretty nice. And Caleb, we're here in the opposite in Florida. So how are things there? Um, well, they're 
it's you know, everybody's pretty worried. I mean, it's it's not good. Um, it um, there's just there's you know with the reopening, everything's uh, kind of spiking again, and um, it's got everybody worried, and we're all kind of you know backpedaling on uh, you know what we were we were hoping to kind of get out and do some things, but everybody's sort of backing up at this point and uh, regrouping. So obviously this has taken a huge toll on the coach leasing business. Do you have any coaches out right now, Caleb? Very few. Um, I just you got a, just a few things going on. Um, you know, we're doing some uh, family trips, those types of things, um, moving people across country that don't want to fly, um, but very little, not much at all. And Doug, I know you and I actually had a conversation. Well, we've had a couple conversations recently. One about potentially providing coaches for driving concerts and, you know, in place of being in place of uh, dressing rooms or for people who want to go to the shows. We've also had a conversation, I feel like, about similar to the point Caleb just made about, you know, high end coach leasing for people that want to travel but aren't necessarily, you know, looking to fly. How are things in your world these days? Well, you know, I've had a couple of requests for coaches in the, in the last couple of weeks, none of them of which came together, but they were primarily people that needed to go somewhere. Um, I think one was Las Vegas, maybe East coast of Las Vegas. And, you know, it just, for whatever reason, none of it panned out. So I think there's a little bit of that going on uh, at this time, but I've not had the opportunity to book any of it. I've talked to several other bus companies around the country and being a broker, um, you know, they kind of open up to me, but I think we're all in the same boat right now. Everybody is pretty much stalled. There's very few buses running and uh, it's just, you know, looking pretty bleak out there as we speak. Well, let's suspend conversation then about what's happening right now. And let's go back. Let's talk about how you two came to be in the positions that you are now. Let's talk about the coach leasing business as, as our first guests of the podcast in this space. Love for our listeners to hear a little bit about you guys, what you do, you know, how you got to where you are, I, Doug, why don't you go first? Okay. Uh, I was born in... Um, <laughs> so, actually, I, I, I ended up by chance getting into this business. Caleb's Uncle Jerry Calhoun uh, has a ranch in Leesburg, Florida, and my father used to keep his airplane there. And so when I was a young man, I would hang around the airport. And at that time, uh, they were not in the entertainment bus business, but... Uh, you know, my dad and Jerry were good friends and, and hung out and my dad played a bass guitar a little bit. He would, he would go with Jack and Jerry once in a blue moon and play somewhere. But uh, fast forwarding, I was in the banking business for 15 years and I was, uh, had just started a, an independent bank, commercial bank in Ocala, Florida. And I was down there snooping around trying to get some, find some loans. And I was talking to Jerry about, loaning some money on some buses that he was building down there. And he said to me, he says, why don't you get out of that 
stupid banking business and go to work for me. <laughs> I said, well, you know, that that's pretty interesting. So uh, as it turns out, I got out of the banking business and went to work for him and, and started uh, booking buses and booking tours and selling buses for him. And that's kind of how it all started. And in about 2000, I went out on my own, started a, a brokerage company and and Jack and Jerry and Caleb were gracious enough to allow me to lease their buses. And then I started moving out and, and booking other buses around the country. But that's kind of how it all started for me. It was uh, Jerry Calhoun that put me in this business. And the Calhoun family has been really good to me through the years. And and you just said it, but just I wanted to catch up our listeners. When you say Jack and Jerry, you are talking about Caleb's father, Jack Calhoun, yes. and his brother, Jerry. Yes. So you and Caleb obviously go way back, and you've known the Calhoun family for a very long time. Many years, yeah. Caleb was a little kid when I first met him. Yeah. So Caleb, why don't you jump in? Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and feel free to throw a little ribbon at Doug too. I mean, don't, don't hold back. You obviously know some things about him that other people don't. And, you know, whether you want to expose those things to the world, if he doesn't want anybody to know, we can pretend there's nobody else out there. We can pretend that it's just us in this little room here. But if it's like really, really embarrassing, I want to know. <laughs> well he's doing good so far so we'll uh we'll let him continue but yeah no i uh, um i obviously grew up in this business my dad and my uncle uh started it back in the late 70s and um so just you know as far back as i can remember i grew up you know here on the property we're on a seven acre uh property that the uh, our, uh my dad's home our home and the business are all on one piece so um, you know, I, I just, I've been around it, you know, um, all day, every day for, you know, since I, as long as I could remember, um, shortly after I got out of high school, I, um, uh, started getting into the leasing and the management and, um, um, just continued on from there. Um, you know, in my, my early years, I was, you know, worked in the shop building the buses and, uh, um, you know, now I just, uh, sort of you know, manage it from all aspects, hands-on, uh, involved a lot in the, in the build, the build themselves and, um, and, uh, still handle the leasing. So, um, that's, uh, that's kind of where I come from. Well, take us through it then. So you acquire a shell from Prevost or whomever, right? And, right. and you guys do the actual internal building the craft work the you put this whole thing together is that right that's right so we we buy the shells from prevost in canada uh when we get it and it's an empty shell um we do everything from the, the paint work to the, the plumbing the generators uh, all the way to the the fit and finish and i just want to paint the picture for anyone who hasn't been on one of these high-end star coaches we're talking Marble everything, leather everything, stainless everything. We're talking, some of these coaches are nicer than my house, and I like my house. So how is it that Florida Coach has come to build these multi-million dollar incredible buses, and, and what's the philosophy there? 
Well, we've just, you know, probably the last 10 years, we've really focused on, um, you know, there, there's a, there's a market out there for, there's a lot of folks that would, would want a nicer bus and don't mind paying a little extra for it. And, uh, so we, we've just focused more on, on building a better bus, spending, spending the money it takes to do it right and to maintain them right. And, um, it, it's there's there's been a market there for that so we we've just really focused uh, year after year on trying to get better um, and um, just build the best product that we can and uh, hope that somebody will will pay the rates that we need to, to make it work and and so far so good I mean there's uh, there's a lot of buses out there but there's there's very few high-end buses so um, it's 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 been good for us and um, you know uh, to be able to uh, to take care of our clients and, and keep them happy. Well, I mean, as I said, your buses are always booked way in advance, so clearly there is a market for this. Doug, why don't you jump in? I mean, why aren't there more buses of this level and this quality? You know, I'm always calling you saying, "Where the fuck are these buses? Why are they all gone? Why why can't you find something?" Find and of course, you always manage to come through with something. Um, but, but they, they really just aren't enough. And, and I guess in context, right, when you think about it, we're talking about artists, especially when we're talking about a parties where these artists have millions upon millions of dollars. We're talking about tours that are grossing, if not a million plus a night, we're talking Mm -hmm. tens, if not hundreds of millions over a tour cycle. Where are all these buses? Why aren't there more? What what is going on? How how can we move the industry in a way that there are more of these at our disposal? And and why is it that a company like Florida Coach really does have the market on these? Well, let me first of all say a couple of things about Florida Coach. And one is is Caleb, um, he somehow has figured out what you know, those stars like when it comes to coaches and has figured out how to build them. And when I'm out, you know, and I I use buses from, you know, a wide number of of companies across America. But when I refer to Caleb's buses, they literally are the best in the industry, bar none. Nobody can compete with Caleb's buses, Florida coach. It's just, that's just the way it is. And I think that's pretty common knowledge out there in the industry. I if I just being nice, he doesn't want no, me to throw any. I was going to say, what's right going now? on here? Like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not, here too much I'm not blowing smoke up anybody's ass here. I'm just telling you what the facts are. And there are companies out there that have, you know, nice buses. Don't get me wrong. There's other nice star buses out there. Uh, some real nice, but none compared to Caleb. And I can tell you as an example, Janet Jackson, she's probably one of the toughest clients there is out there to satisfy with a bus. She had looked at probably, and I've had her tour her bus the last two years. You know, she looked at five or six buses. And as soon as one of Caleb's buses came available, I sent the picture. And within minutes, I get a call from her tour manager. She wants that bus. Grab that bus. Don't let that bus go. That's what I hear from the tour manager. So that tells me that, you know, there's just, when it comes to his level of coaches, there's no competition out there for him. You know, my biggest problem with Caleb is, is he's booked up and I have, and I can't get any of his buses. It's rare that I can get him because he's always sold out. 
which is a good thing for him. But what was was that deal you were trying to broker with me about holding a couple buses or a handful of buses for you to? (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's called blackmail. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys, speaking of um, artist coaches and being able to meet that demand, what's the biggest hardship you have in keeping those buses relevant? Like what's the number one, you know, is it technology? Is it the refrigerator? You know, what's the thing that is one of the bigger nightmares? Um, well, for us, we just, we really try to stay on top of things to keep, uh, keep the buses is top notch. I mean, every year we're going through them. Uh, we're, we're basically remodeling them every year, or every couple years to keep them uh, like new. Um, so when we, when we send out a handful of buses on a tour, I, I don't want the people to know the difference from a, a 2015 from a 2020. And I feel like we do a really good job of that, of keeping the older buses looking like brand new. And if they didn't look at the odometer or the, the title, they wouldn't know the difference. So um, it's just staying on top of things and, and spending the money it takes to, to keep that stuff up and, and keep it looking good is, is, is really what it takes to make it work. What about things like, you know, and I know this sounds ridiculous, but um, like refrigerator drawers versus having a typical domestic fridge in there, you know, things like that. Are they, um, cause I know someone who has had to stock buses before, you know, I know I have issues with some of the designs, but I was just curious when you come with A-listers being that they're more demanding, what's, you know, is it the, how, ma- how comfortable the mattress is or is it, you know, the aesthetics of the space? Um. Yeah, I think it's not really any one thing in particular. Um, it's, you know, it's a little bit of everything there. I mean, sometimes we get some requests for uh, different style, uh, like the refrigerators. Some people like the drawers, some people don't. I mean, we've, we've went to the extent of even changing some stuff out to, you know, for if somebody's willing to lease the bus long enough, they can pretty much have whatever they want. But I don't know, Doug, what, do you, what are you seeing that, that um, well, people are? Yeah. you know, I... Like everything else, there's, you know, new things that come along in cars, you know, but in bus world, it's a little bit different because you have, you know, a bus shell that that's 45 foot long and 102 inches wide. And there's only so many designs that you can put in that bus and still make it functional, you know, to meet the needs of the client in our industry. So it's, you know, it's not like a Cadillac where you can, you know, change up you know, 6 million little bells and whistles to, to make it work and the, and the exterior designs and headlights and taillights and all those things. But, you know, you get a little bit of that in bus world, but not a lot. So, you know, if, if you keep, you know, what you can up update, you know, as time passes, you know, refrigerators, as an example, you know, there was a time when everybody put just a, a basic black refrigerator in, and then they went to stainless and now there's the dark stainless and, then there's the under the cabinet, you know, refrigerators. And so, you know, everybody has their own taste, certainly in certain things. But I, I again, Caleb somehow has figured out what, you know, what the uh, the stars like in their in their star buses. Well, let's stick with the same theme about about updates and, you know, little things that that get added over time. But let's back up a step and sticking with you for a second, Doug. Yeah. As our resident old guy on the podcast. Yes. Thank I'm you very much. Old. Fuck you, too. you out. You are the senior elder statesman <laughs> with us today. Um, 
you know, I mean, you were back around when buses were first, you know, uh, being introduced to the touring world, or maybe mm-hmm. soon thereafter. Right. I might be pushing well, buttons just a little bit, but back then we know, had Clydesdales that we, you know, <laughs> harnessed up. And I'm talking post, you know, horse and buggy. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm talking post like crank engine, like after the invention of the Model T and what have you. No, I, I'm. Let's let's talk about you know there was a time, yeah, early in touring uh-huh. when people sat in Greyhound style buses right. where there were seats, right, exactly. And then, you know, things started to change, and they started becoming outfitted with, you know, benches turned sideways, and then bunks of some sort. And I mean, can you walk us briefly through the evolution where, again, where at one point in time, everybody's sitting facing forward and then you added different type of seating and then bunks and then kitchens and what, ha- like, how did that happen? Talk to, to, can you take us through that? Well, I'm not as old as you think I am, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to take you back as far back as I go. When I first arrived on the scene, they were using Eagle buses. And I don't know if anybody here, I'm sure Caleb remembers the Eagle buses, but sure. uh, I don't know if, if Christine, Kyle, or or Chris remember any of the Eagles. Do you guys remember the Eagles? I do, actually. I've been on a couple of Eagles. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've been on one or two myself. But I, I think, I, I, yeah, by bad luck, I was on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, I think the whole industry started out with Eagles and, and, and Caleb, you know, being that his father was a country music singer, you know, knew a lot of the old timers um, that, that, you know, that toured the, the country people toured heavily in the early days. And so they, they would go get an old Greyhound and convert it. And, and then things kind of progressed. And honestly, you know, Jack and Jerry Calhoun, you know, they, they were the pioneers in the transition of the transportation for entertainment. You know, they started building, these Eagle coaches and putting bunks in them for the crews. And they understood that it was cheaper than flying everybody. And so, you know, there was a time, this is a kind of a crazy story, but when I first arrived on the scene, they had the new kids on the block tour, which correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it somewhere around 20 some buses, Caleb? I think so. Yeah. And, and they would fly me down to, to Brownsville, Texas, where the Eagle plant was and pick up a shell. And I would drive that shell straight back to Florida, pull it in the shop, fall out the door onto a stretcher and 15 or 20 guys would, you know, converge on the bus. And within 24 hours, that bus, the next day, after I woke up and got out of bed and came back to the shop, they were putting the blankets and the comforters on it. And it would be heading out to the to the new kids on the block tour. It was incredible. Are you serious now? 24 hours? I swear to God, you know, and not only was it just one bus, it was probably a dozen buses because I drove five or six of those Eagles back myself personally. And again, they would have, now the interiors would be pre-built, you know, they would be, you know, sitting in the shop, the bus would pull in and everybody would just go to work like, you know, a bunch of bees swarming around that bus. And, and literally by the time I got up that evening and came into the shop the next morning, that bus would be rolling out on tour. No lie. So, you know, you know, I, I think really 
you know, the, the transition of the buses came probably in the 90s from Eagles in the Prevost. And maybe um, Senator was probably one of the first companies that started using the Prevost. But the problem with the Prevost back then is the suspension system was not up to par with the Eagles. The Eagles, they had what they called a torsion, torsion suspension. It was like this big plunger, like a shock. It was monstrous. And so when that Eagle went down the road, and probably even today, they're one of the best riding buses, even though they're old and ugly, they have an amazing ride going down the highway. And so the, you know, the crew and the artists could sleep really well in those coaches. And that's kind of what, you know, what made them, you know, what they were back in the day. So then the transition from, you know, from um, Eagles into the, into the Prevos in the nineties and then the interiors, you know, would just start getting better and better and better. And more people were getting into the industry is back in the, in the, in the late seventies, eighties, you know, when the Calhouns got into business, there weren't that many bus companies in the country. Um, and so, you know, they kind of, they were the, you know, the, the king of the road back then is what I called them. You know, they just had everybody. They had all the major artists. You guys have had Willie Nelson for how many years, Caleb? Uh, 40 years, 40 years, man. Yeah. That's amazing. So, yeah. We first, the, the first, uh, buses that we bought were old, you know, greyhounds and trailways that, um, were, we'd take the seats out and, uh, you know, a lot of them were million mile buses and we put an interior in them and that's kind of where it started. Uh, I think it was 80 or 81 when we, we were able to buy, you know, worked out the deal with Eagle just to buy the shell, an empty shell. And, uh, and then, uh, Doug, were you around when they, they worked the deal with Eagle to do the 45 footers? Yes, I was there. That's, that's about the time I showed up. In fact, I think I drove the first 45, one of the first 45s back from, uh, from yeah. Brownsville. So they, they were, you know, up until, uh, 88, 89, all the buses were 40 foot and, um, Jack and Jerry put a deal together with, uh, with Eagle to, uh, help design and lobby for. A lot of the states wouldn't even allow a 45-foot bus, so uh, they put a lot of work into that. And we, we actually, for the first two years that they were producing 45-foot coaches, they were uh, they all went to the Calhouns, to Florida Coach, and Florida Custom Coach. So um, there, you know, there at that time there wasn't a 45-foot bus on on the you know in the United States that wasn't a Florida Coach. And, and just so our listeners understand, as if it's not obvious, what, why the move from 40 to 45 feet? Well, I just more room. I mean, uh, just to be able to have, you know, more space, carry more people and uh, uh, more luggage space. It was just a natural transition. How do you guys come up with ways to um, like, where do you get feedback from from the crew bus area? Obviously, for the artists, that's one line of communication. But from when you're housing, you know, multiple people, like upwards of 10 or more, where do you find um, your feedback comes from? Is it only production managers or do you ever get to hear back from the crew or is it the drivers? Yeah. Well, it, uh, um, all of the above. I mean, and I got to tell you really that, you know, the, it's not just the buses that we build, the drivers that we have, I, I feel like we've got one of the best teams out there and that's got a lot to do with it. I mean, we can build the best coach 
there is, but if you don't have a good driver out there to, to take care of it and, and keep the people happy, then it's just not going to work. So, I mean, it's something that, uh, my dad taught me early on was, you know, we, son, we can build the best bus in the world, but we got to have a good driver to go with it. Um, and uh, a lot of times a good driver can, you know, on a bus that it's, that's not top notch or, uh, you know, having some problems, they can make it work. And, uh, you know, so that, that makes a big difference. So it's that, it's that whole package of trying to, to, um, you know, to, to, to build the best bus we can, but then also have the right people there to, um, to take care of it and to, to look after the people. But, yeah, we the the feedback comes from you know the, the drivers. If if somebody's not happy with something, I mean, we take all of that really seriously. We try to um, you know the the complaints. We you know immediately try to fix it, and then you know going forward, we try to when we're building, we try to change those those things and and make it where it isn't a problem anymore. So, I mean, a, a lot of this has evolved just from the feedback that we get from. Um, you know, production managers and tour managers and just the artists themselves. Um, when, uh, you know, we keep hearing the same things over and over, I mean, we know it's time to make a change and, and we do it. We take it seriously. Like getting rid of those little TVs above our heads? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many years did that take? <laughs> Quick question, gentlemen. So <clears throat> regarding bus security, you have on any bus, you have an average of, you know, 10 people coming in and out. New guys to the tour, old guys, everybody, somebody always leaves the bus unlocked. How can we implement something so that the bus will automatically lock once you exit the bus? Um, that's a, that's a good question a good thought i mean because remember you know a lot of times we're you know parked on the streets or whatever you are and people just for some reason don't think to lock the bus and oh yeah you come back sure. more often than not bus is always open and then in a few cases some buses have been robbed so just a thought how we could figure that out because that's my huge pet peeve when it comes to touring is the bus is always open yeah, if I can just jump in here, I, I will say for the record that uh, anybody that listens to this podcast knows Kyle harps on two things every single time. One is people that don't wash the hands, and the other is lock the damn people who don't lock the bus. <laughs> and, and actually, that's a really good thought. I mean, they're especially with the modern keypads such as they are nowadays, I think that's actually a great idea. And Caleb, you guys are the guys who can do this. There should be an automatic locking mechanism. My car has one. If I yeah. walk away from my car for more than, you know, 30 seconds or something, it automatically locks. And mm -hmm. why not? Well, it, yeah, I mean, with the buses, uh, the Prevost now, um, it may be as simple as a programming issue um, that we could uh, work with them to do something on. I think starting in 21, boom, there mm -hmm. it is. Something that... Uh that I'm working on right now is some technology that I want to, I want to see if we can market. And that is there's a, there's some technology that has cameras that when a person walks up to the bus, it scans his retina, it takes his temperature and mm -hmm. you can, and you can put multiple functions in this thing that you want, you know, that it's capable of before it'll even unlock the door for that person. And so I think that a Tesla? 
<laughs> there's definitely apps for that. I keep well, going with that, that, Doug. I totally agree. You know, you, this is this is not an app. This is a piece of equipment that we, that, you know, that we have have been working on. In fact, okay, we're we're talking to some high schools around the country about installing these in all of the school buses, and you know, in and in our conversations, we thought that it might be an item that would work well in the entertainment industry, you know, and they work really well. I mean, you walk up to the bus, you stand in front of the camera and it scans you and it says, you know, either get in or get the fuck out. You ain't coming in, you know, it's pretty cool. I got to tell you. Well, be it hardware or software, I think with, you know, computer systems and Kyle, did you say Tesla? I mean, these technologies should be available to bus manufacturers at this yeah. point in time. We should be able to do a retinal scan that I'm sure resetting the codes is a big fucking pain in the ass, but there's got to be a way that there could be keyless entry that mm-hmm. doesn't require a key fob that doesn't require a code that right. allows you to do some sort of finger scan or retina scan to let the designated people on to automatically lock to, you know, the ring.com video camera that allows mm-hmm. you to see everyone that's coming and going mm-hmm. um you know to the computer systems are definitely there i'm sure that is huge dollar signs caleb you're probably mumbling under your breath these motherfuckers don't understand how expensive all this <laughs> shit is. believe it or not these things are not that expensive you well, know so you know we're, we're working on it we're hoping that yeah, I mean, I'm all about pioneering these things. I've I've said before, any new idea that comes on this coach, ten percent. That's all we need, ten percent. But uh, I mean, that's that's a small price to pay to have the most progressive, forward-thinking, next-gen um, buses. But but before we talk more about the next generation, I love the, the technology play. So. There, you know, again, we're moving through the chronology. We're the '90s into the 2000s. When do stars become a thing? Well, I think they've always been a thing. You know, even even back then, you know, the stars always had their own coaches. You know, their own buses. The six a, a star bus is typically a rear stateroom with six bunks or four bunks in the center, and depending on how many, you know, people in their entourage or, you know, and there are some artists that just our family star buses where they just have the artist and the kids and the driver. And that's, you know, pretty much the deal. But, um, you know, they've always, you know, they, I think it probably started with star buses. Don't you think Caleb? Well, yeah. I mean, um, I think the early two thousands when, um, Jerry did all the slide outs and built them stars. I mean, I think he kind of flooded the market with star buses at that point. And a lot of people learned that they were out there and that was a possibility. Um, I think he put about a hundred star buses on the road in just a couple of years in the early 2000s. So, um, we actually didn't do a lot of stars at that point. Uh, we were, unless it was a, you know, a custom build, we built Willie Nelson, a star bus uh, several times, but, um, yeah, it's, 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 they're much more requested now than they, they were years ago. I, I think that the artists realize that they're out there and they're, they've gotten better. So they're more comfortable. we got a lot of stars that are just living on them and not even getting hotel rooms anymore. They're, they're happy where they're at. So, um, you know, I think it just, a lot of it started back, you know, when, when Jerry put a lot of them out there to, um, you know, and put them out at a, they weren't at a, you know, a a high rate where 
um, you couldn't afford them. So he, they put a lot of them into the market at that point. Mm-hmm. So Made everybody aware. So that's interesting. I, I guess I, it stands to reason that there would have been stars early and not later, but, but, we've talked about the difficulty of getting good stars and you've, you just said that there just aren't a lot of them out there. Why is that then again there with all the A-list artists that tour, why isn't there at least one quality star for every A-list artist that tours on an average summer? Well, they're uh, it, with star buses is kind of feast or famine. They either, they work a lot and then they may sit a lot because uh, they don't always fit. Uh, you know, they're not like a crew bus that you can work on any tour or band bus. Um, the star buses, you know, uh, when they're, they're in high demand, but there's, there's a lot of time where they have to sit in between tours and, uh, cause you can't, you can't fit them in a lot of different places like you can a crew bus or a band bus. So it's, you, it's, a, it's a bit of a risk, uh, you know, when you, when you build a star bus, but, uh, uh, cause it, you know, you, you could, during the summer, of course, you can lease as many as you want. But during those winter months, when a lot not a lot of the artists are uh, needing star buses, it's uh, they can sit. And it's uh, and so it's it's just the balance is not there like it is with a band and a crew bus. Fair enough. That stands to reason. Yeah. So so talk to us about slides then. I mean, when do slides become a thing? Um. Well, like I, you know, that's. Doug, you can. That was probably when you were around there at Jerry's. Um, he made the deal with Prevost and um, got an aftermarket slide put in uh, with uh, HWH. He was actually buying the shell and then sending it down to another company that were putting the slides in. So, uh, you know that uh, it went from probably a handful of slides in the the uh, entertainment industry to you know, I think over the, from maybe ninety nine to. 2004 jerry probably put 200 slides in the in the industry um so that that's that's really where they came in at that point it was uh, everybody wanted them and it was you know from then on just everybody started buying slides yeah i would agree and i i think like you say once once that was introduced then everybody wanted them and then the demand became so great and it was easier to book buses that they had slides but let me ask you this, Caleb. Do you think that, and maybe you guys can tell us uh, in the industry, do you think that the slides are kind of working their way back out? Do you think it's kind of coming back around in a circle? Because there's advantages to not having slides in some cases. And and I think... Yeah, absolutely. I think part of the, you know, some it's about 50-50 people ask for slides because they, they think that's a newer type bus. Um you know, they just immediately, you know, because it, it at one point there, it, all the new buses were slides. But now some of the the uh, converters are starting to build some non-slides and put them back in, in the industry. So there are a lot of new non-slides out there. And they going down the road, they've got a lot of room. You've got, uh, you know, s- several extra feet of seating space that you wouldn't have in a slide. Um so uh, they they are starting to come back around, and uh, we we've actually we just built four non slides uh, that um, and everybody that's used them loves them because they've got so much more room in it when when they are going down the road. Uh, obviously, when you're parked, you don't have that slide out, but uh, 
you know, it's a trade-off. I think with any A and B party, they're always looking for that slide because they're looking to, they're spending that much more time on the bus when it's parked. Mm -hmm. But I think when it comes to C party, it's always, I don't even know that space is really a consideration for a lot of managers, store managers, production managers. I'm sorry to say, and of course I'm sitting here on a podcast with, you know, with my associates that are typically uh, Kyle and Chris in particular, C party, although often we'll travel with the band and B party. Um, but audio guys in general are considered the C party. Dallas, you've been in both. I mean, why don't you guys jump in? Slide, non slide, any opinion? Oh, yeah. I think it depends. Oh, go ahead. You got to have the slide. Slide is important. <laughs> I mean, that did let you spread your wings a little bit, especially when uh, you have, uh, when you're doing what they call a, uh, park it lot relaxing when you're waiting on a hotel room well that is definitely a thing although again i think that price is usually the driving factor for sea party coaches in general i think it also has to do with the tour and the routing you know like i've had some tour managers you know approach the crew and based on the long hauls to find out who's actually going to be riding the buses on these long hauls and some people will you know, gravitate towards a non-slider because you have more space on the bus when it's taking these long submarine rides, you know? But if you have a, you know, short hauls here and there and the bus is like Kyle said, you're sitting apart and for a long time, then people do want that slide. But a lot of guys now, I mean, you know, if you're taking these long hauls, we're flying, you know, from state to state if it's a long haul. No more 20-hour rides for me. I'm in the air. No. Yeah, I'm I'm catching a flight. I mean, we are, myself and Kyle and we are. people who, who can, you know, but, you know, you do have those crew guys who are taking those long rides, but a lot of people are opting to, to get on the plane. Oh, but I don't know now, A and B, um, I'm I'm all about the, the bus, thank you. If I can avoid going through the stupidity of an airport nowadays, and I know I can just chill on the bus, sleep, I'm, I love those 20-hour rides. Not Bring that it. much sleep in the world. You know, I mean, um, no, it's just a chill time. Nobody can get hold of you. It's fantastic. I think Dallas, it really depends I mean, on your gig too. Don't, rem- don't forget your audience. I mean, Chris and Kyle, exactly. Champagne and caviar, <laughs> white glove motherfuckers. Absolutely. That's my <laughs> told you about hating. It's not. Uh, we worked hard to get there. It, it also has hating. to do with the bus. If I if I've got a condo situation, ah. you know, and there's less people on the bus, then That's I, I, the devil I, the I may be you know maybe more apt to, to sit on that bus and hang out. But if I'm on a sleeper, you know, and there's 10, 10 11 guys, I'm, I'm flying. Peace. <laughs> see you, see you at so, the bar when you get there at eight p.m. Exactly. Right. <laughs> bring my, so back to bring Doug my and Caleb. To lobby. That's right. Curious, so we though, have Doug. guests on the program today. Uh, <laughs> no, I just want to hear, though, from you guys, um, when it comes to the driving side in the States, it's been rather lenient for the amount of time drivers have been able to be behind the wheel and drive those buses. Um, in Europe, they're much more stringent about it. Have you, are you guys keen now, happier about this, the new, more stringent plans they have in place on the highways here, or do you feel that it's not really an issue? No, I mean, we're, we're happy, you know, all the buses have to have an ELD now and, um, they're tracked and we're happy about it. I mean, it's, it's a good thing. Um, it keeps the, the, the drivers from, from being abused and, 
Um, granted, they, you know, they, they like doing some of them longer drives and things years ago, but, um, cause they get the overdrives and things, but, um, it's a good thing. It's, it's been good for us. The drivers for the most part like it. And, um, it's just, it's, it's a lot different now driving out there than it was 20 years ago. There, there's so, you know, everybody's, there's so, so much traffic, everybody's on their phones and it's, uh, these drivers, they got to have eyes in the back of their head to get around and it's, uh, it's pretty stressful. So those, having the, that ELD to keep them from being, you know, pushed and, uh, abused is, is, is very good. And, you know, we're, we're happy about all of that. And how do you guys vet your drivers? What makes a better driver than others? Is there anything you can share about that? Well, um, I, we're, we're fortunate. A lot of the guys we've, we have, um, uh, have been with us a, a long time and we've got, um, several drivers that have been here for, you know, all along 40 plus years. Um, uh, the majority of them are 20 plus year people. And, uh, uh, we, so we don't have a lot of turnover. We maybe hire a couple of drivers a year at, at most. Um, and, uh, really just kind of, you know, we bring in somebody that's, you know, uh, experienced, we cherry pick the, the good people. And, uh, and then we just make sure that they're groomed well or put with an experienced person that, that knows the ropes and knows how to take care of the people. And, um, that's been a formula that works for us. And we always try to put a new guy out with, uh, several of the, um, you know, seasoned uh, drivers, and uh, it's it, it works out well. So sticking with that point just for a second, so we talked about advancements in buses changing in, uh, you know, some of the 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 structural elements, but but there's been changes in driver regulations, as Dallas was asking. How has that changed over time? What other changes can you speak to in terms of the way that the approach to driving has changed? Well, um, I mean, you're starting to see now with the, I mean, we, there is no choice. There's no gray area. I mean, you got to go by the ELD, um, you know, basically nine hours is about the, the maximum that they can, they can do without needing a team driver. If you get too close to 10, you could go over and, and they could fall short of their, their route. So, um, now it's, you know, this all started a few years ago, but we're, the tours now are starting to get a little bit better about booking their dates. And, and, uh, there was, you know, there used to be a lot of those drives that were in the gray area and, um, uh, that, you know, 10, 11 hours that, that, uh, they, um, might try or want to try to get away with, but now it's just, it's basically by the book and, uh, it's not the driver's decision. Um, it's, you know, it's really what, what the times are. Uh, we, we run the times and, um, you know, everybody has to adhere to it and everybody's on an, a level playing field. Now, Doug, you, you deal with a lot of different companies and we just heard Caleb say everybody's on a level playing field, but there are companies I would suggest that perhaps look for flexibility in these rules and and perhaps now because these regulations have changed so much that's no longer possible but certainly there are drivers and there are companies who don't mind a 600 mile 700 mile haul who will do a 15 hour drive if they can get away with it i'm not going to suggest that people intentionally cook the books but there are people historically who may have cooked the books 
I mean, tell us about that. I don't know nothing about that. I'm not saying you worked with any of these people. <laughs> no. I obviously not. And clearly, well, you want the truth, or you want me to lie to you? What should I, I do here, Caleb? You to I want you to tell uh, the story. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get off the regulation subject. <laughs> Here's what I heard about. Okay, I've never been involved in it. Of course, but I've heard about it from some reliable sources. And there are still companies out there that are, you know, running renegade, running hot, as I call it. You know, they unplug their ELD and they'll run 800, 900 miles, a thousand miles. It's going on. I'm telling you, it's going on for, you know, but do we get involved in that? No, we do not. Fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. And we'll leave it at that. I will ask one more question about regulations, which is this. In Europe, the regulations are even more rigid than they are in the States. And routinely on tours where I I historically would not have thought about these drives being especially long, drivers have no problem saying, nope, sorry, I'm stopping right now, pull over, and routing gets fucked up. There are problems like crazy in terms of getting from place to place. Do, Do you... What do you see as the differences? Why is it the way it is in Europe versus here in the States? What do you think is the, the, is the best path forward? Well, I, over in Europe, they've been dealing with this much longer. It's, it's a new thing for the bus drivers over here. It's going to take some time for everybody to, to adapt to it. And, uh, uh, but, you know, I think ultimately it's just, they, they've had that, you know, been dealing with that situation for a, a long time. So it's, um, you know, they've weeded out all the renegades and, and things and, and everybody there knows they need to, it's, you know, it's by the book or it's, it's not at all. Do you, Caleb, do you think that sooner or later, I mean, assuming the routings, you know, I, the, the problem, part of the problem I think is, is you just really can't route these tours the way you need to route every tour. You know what I mean? There's going to be gaps and spaces in there where you got to run a thousand miles, you know what I mean? Or 1500 miles or whatever, because of the routing. But do you think that there'll ever come a time when every tour has two drivers to just eliminate any issues with stopping that bus in between venues? Um, uh, possibly. I mean, you know, we, we do see that on a, on the star bus side where those, they'll take two drivers for the whole tour, just so there's no limitations on the star about, uh, um, and that's not so much about mileage as it is about time, just, you know, the, them making stops or, uh, wait time and things like that. But I, I don't know. I think it'll come down to a cost factor and, you know, what, what makes, you know, the most sense there. I'm seeing a, you know, a lot of our tours uh, are are making a, a really good stab at, at trying to to keep all the mileages within the 10 hour mark. I mean, I've had you know a, a lot of tours that were they maybe only have one or two that go over, and uh, you know they've got days in scheduled off, or they use team drivers, and uh, and then you know there there are some that is still like it's like looking at you know the, the itinerary you go through it and. You know, a 60 day tour, there might be 12 team drives. And just the cost for that is just, 
um, unbelievable um, mm-hmm. to fly the driver out and the, and, and the pay. So I think that they're seeing, they're, they're starting to see the cost for that and realize that nah, we maybe need to rethink some of this. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think in, yeah, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the, the cost and, and uh, whatever makes the most sense. Well, I, I think that was actually a great question, Doug. And, and, you know, where I was leaning in my head in terms of the difference between America and, and Europe and the way the regulations are happening and the, the, the rules that are changing, it just, it seems to me in Europe in particular, you know, you're dealing with a lot of old cities. And in some of these cities, the size of the bus doesn't allow you to go certain places. And there are different size buses because some can go to some places that, that others cannot. And the parking regulations are different. And the amount of time, you know, it, it takes to get anywhere, you know, be it, a, 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 be it because of traffic, because of distance, because of any number of, of factors and variables, it requires a level of education that I think that most tour managers don't have, that I think that most promoters don't have, that most agents don't have, and, and, and perhaps everyone should. I'm curious your thoughts looking forward, if there needs to be more attention paid to regulation, city by city, country by country, and the, the needs of drivers and the consideration that needs to be paid, not just the cost, but the consideration of the variables in order to route better tours? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think so. I mean, uh, yeah, obviously they deal with a lot more there in Europe. I mean, there's, uh, the drivers there have, have to have a, a tremendous amount of knowledge and experience about where they're going and what they're doing, um, far more than the drivers here. But um, I, are you... Are you Asking if they if we should have more of that here, and I guess I'm asking I, both. I'm asking w- whether you think that we need to be making additional changes to regulations, or whether you think they're coming. I'm also asking whether, in general, just simply, very simply, whether there needs to be more knowledge and awareness of those regulations and considerations in routing the tour to make it more functional. Oh, yeah, I would say absolutely. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, the, the the folks that are doing the routing need to be brought in on this at an earlier stage than, um, you know, because it, it, uh, it's kind of working backwards now. I mean, they find out when it's when it's too late that this don't work. And um, so, um, yeah, there, there definitely needs to be more considerations there. Doug, any thoughts? It always seems like to me that, you know, when we get the routing, we run the numbers and, you know, there's 15 overdrives in 25 days and you say, you know, who, who routed this? We need to talk to that guy because, you know, I think those people like Caleb says that are putting the routing together, they need to understand the regulations. So, you know, it's not a, all of a sudden we got to reroute the whole tour because it's going to cost too much money, you know, to have two drivers out there, whatever the case may be. But, you know, yeah, we've got. I, I do have some tours calling and asking about the routing, asking me to run mileage. Is this doable? Um, and um, you know, so there are some doing it, um, but uh, it's 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 very few, not many. 
Okay. Okay. So shifting gears again. And back, well, for, first of all, I'm going to ask you a softball, but then, then I'm going to shift to a, to a slightly more complicated question as we start to wind down and look ahead. Um, just in terms of pre-COVID, I'm curious, like what's, the hot, what's been the hot new toy in the last couple of years that every bus wants? Doug? Well, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Caleb a few years ago came up with the, uh, you know, the iPads, you know, with all the movies on board. Isn't that what you do, Caleb? Right. I yeah. Think, you know, I think new. that's kind of one of the new toys. Um, you know, I, would you agree that maybe tracking satellites are going to go away, Caleb? Um, possibly. I mean, I, they're, um, I, you know, with, with everybody, um, with, we do a uh, onboard media server that has a database of, of movies that's, that's local to the bus. So you don't have to stream anything. Uh, it's been, you know, very popular when they're, uh, when they can't stream or if they're parked somewhere that they can't get, you know, the satellite doesn't work. So, um, and the satellite is still, uh, it's not high definition. They haven't got to that point yet where it's, I mean, it's just, they're talking about converting it over to high def. So, um, it's, it is kind of a dinosaur. Um, it needs to evolve, but, uh, yeah, I mean the, the electronics are, are a big thing. Um, we have the iPads that kind of, it's the all in one that controls, um, you know, all the electronics and things on the buses and, um, but you know, that, that's, those are kind of selling points and things, but, um, you know, that we, we try to keep the buses simple and practical that everybody can use and that when things break that we can fix them. And, um, it's just kind of been something that Jack and Jerry always did was try to keep things practical and, and easy to maintain. And mm -hmm. so if something did break, it could be fixed in a timely manner. Uh, some of these buses, they get so complicated that if something breaks, it's just about got to be brought back to the shop. But uh, we try to stay away from that kind of stuff. And although, you know, we, we the bus is high end, very nice. And you, you, you've got lots of bells and whistles. We try to keep it practical and simple at the same time. Exactly. Well, sticking with the practical and simple then, but looking ahead, what's the next practical and simple thing that you think will be introduced? Hmm. That's a good question. What would y'all like to have? <laughs> well, I think we better Wi-Fi. Better Wi-Fi. Better Wi-Fi. Sure. If we, I think we, if we could figure that one out, we wouldn't be having this conversation, probably. But, Kyle would like uh, more computer systems for easy access to and fro. Um, okay, let let think on that. If you have an answer, come back to it. I'd appreciate it. But but here's the other question, uh, slightly more complicated. Looking ahead in light of the virus, but also in light of the fact that historically buses are viewed as one of those places that illnesses on tour can fester. Knowing that, you know, when you're in close proximity to the same 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 people for X number of weeks or months, when disease starts to go through, it can catch fire. And when one or two people on a particular bus gets it, everybody before long is getting sick. So what is going to change that will help keep the buses cleaner and safer coming out of this virus? 
Well, Doug, do you want to tell them what you're working on? Yeah. Uh, you know, we, in addition to the Florida coach and myself and another company, we're in the process of developing um, some technology that will kill virus and bacteria uh, through the cooling systems. And I think, you know, based on the data that we have from, you know, from the labs and technical people that are working on it, you know, they calculate so many air circulations per hour and we can clean, clean this air in the, in the coaches, in the bunks, everywhere in this confined area several hundred times an hour. And so that will, you know, that will basically minimize that problem, you know, if not eliminate it totally. I'm not, you know, and of course, you know, this is kind of all new to us. So, you know, time will tell how effective it really is, you know, within that bus. But if somebody outside of the bus, you know, if they carry the virus on the bus, you know, I don't, I don't know how that's going to play out, but we're, we're certainly taking all the steps in, in the bus business to do everything we can to prevent the spread of virus and bacteria and, and, you know, any other kind of, uh, um, what do you call, uh, you know, like, uh, allergies, you know, allergens, that kind of thing. And we're, we're currently using the electrostatic sprayers to go through the buses and, uh, you know, going forward, every bus will, will, or at least every tour will have one of those on it. Um, for to be done, you know, either in transition or on a daily basis or as needed, um, just to, to help, uh, you know, uh, keep the bus uh, sanitized. And are you saying these buses will be retrofitted or this will be new buses? No, they're, um, well, on, on Doug's end, it's, we're working on a, a kit to, to do both. Um, you know, the electrostatic sprayers now are a handheld thing. It's, uh, that's what they're using on the airlines and in schools and things like that. So, um, you know, it's just an investment we're going to have to make in that to, to have that done, uh, you know, to make sure that, you know, at least every tour or every bus has that, you know, ability that, uh, to do that. With the thinking of social distancing and everything that it's surrounded with COVID, do you see the future being double-decker buses in the U.S. like we have in Europe, given that we would have more space to spread out and to have even isolation areas if need be? Um, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, those, those double-deckers um, have uh, some limitations. I mean, they uh, generally the double-deckers come in for carrying more people. Um so, um, I, what I'm seeing is maybe more, you know, the, what I've been asked on some of the tours is where they use additional buses to spread the people out. And now where you've got a band where maybe an artist rides with the, the band, um, to, uh, they may need a star bus or they may, you know, uh, go, go the route of a star bus and skip the hotel to keep the artist kind of. Have to have their own space and, you know, and away from everybody else. It's a good question though. And, and timely, not just because of COVID, but because 
even before COVID, we had heard that Beat the Street, which is, of course, one of the, if not the best, one of the two best coach services being the other, um, two highest quality and level coaches in Europe, they are now bringing double-deckers into the U.S. They were going to be rolling them out for the first time this summer. So there will be more of a push for those. Would you agree? Um, I guess time will tell. Uh, Doug? Uh, you know, my personal opinion is, is is that maybe somewhat of a fad kind of a scenario where everybody wants to try it and and you know part of the problem is 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 our people in this industry are spoiled with the the best equipment you know on the planet and you know to start stacking 15 18 people on a coach and expect everybody to enjoy that uh i i don't personally see that happening but we'll find out we we demoed the double deckers here uh years ago doug were you around when we had had those no. uh, double deckers at Jerry's no. and uh, looked at, um, you know, b- building them out. But it was just, uh, you know, it came down to the, the bus just didn't ride near as good as what, what the Prevost does. Um, you know, the having to, um, you can't stand up in them. Uh, and the luggage space was a, was a big issue, but there was just quite a few limitations that, um, um, that just didn't just had a hard time seeing how we could make that work um, with what everybody's used to over here. I mean, uh, the, uh, the, I think most of the folks riding buses here used to riding in more of a luxury than, um, than it, than it being a, you know, over there, it's more of a necessity. Interesting. I'll I'll be curious how that shakes out. I'm Mm -hmm. glad Chris brought that up. I, I, I actually enjoy the double deckers and there are some great quality star double deckers that are far more spacious than the stars. Most of the stars that we see here in the States. Um, So I'll be curious if there is a push for those in particular. And and also to Chris's point about spacing, um, you know, certainly if, if you're able to put eight people on one of those 15 sleeper double uh, deckers, it does allow for more space. It allows people to spread out just a little bit. So I'll be curious how that happens. Um, That said, guys, we're at a 75 minute mark and you guys have been awesome. You've given us a ton of information and we really appreciate it. Um, We usually jump into a series of quick hits that I'd like to ask you both. I would ask first if there is anything else you think coming out of COVID going back into touring. Actually, the first question is anything else that you see coming that we haven't talked about. And I'd like to hear that. The other question uh, that just jumped into my head, of course, is Caleb for you in particular. I mean, when are the earliest clusters of buses and don't tell us who we don't need to know, but the earliest groups of buses that you have held that you think realistically will go out in 21. Can you answer that? Um, we're seeing most of it in the spring. Um, April, May is where we're seeing most of those clusters starting. Okay. Okay. That, I mean, I, I think that the hope has been for a lot of these smaller bands to maybe get on the road and do something sooner. 
Um, obviously that just keeps getting pushed back. Um, you know, I had a lot of bands that were hanging on to dates for later this year and it just, but you know, as the weeks, months go on, everybody realizes that's not, not a reality. I think spring sounds fantastic to me. I mean, potentially a little ambitious. A lot of what we're hearing is summer, fall of next year. I would, I would love to be back on the road by spring. That would mean we're planning, we're hitting the ground running at the beginning of the year, if not before the end of this year, and actually putting touches on these and and preparing to get back to work. I, I, I'm very happy with that answer. Doug, you you hearing the same? You know, most of the things that I've heard is the second quarter of 21 is when things are going to start lighting back up. But uh, again, it, I think it's all really going to depend on how this COVID goes and if it settles down. And, you know, really, that's going to be the depending factor, I think, on everything. For sure. And to the former part of my question there, in terms of anything else you see coming out of this, when that happens, Q2 sounds good. Um, you know, anything else we haven't touched on today that you feel like we should be mindful of or thinking about? Well, I... I you know, I think we should move, try to move towards two people per bus, really. Um. <laughs> Do you see compartments like in Europe being a thing so that if you have two drivers, one of them isn't sleeping in the space with the, with the band or with the, the crew at all times? That might be a little uh, tricky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We we built a bus for Neil Young that had a uh, the bay uh, the front bay had a, a chute where the driver could go down and had a bed in it. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's the only one I've seen like that. I mean, certainly in Europe they have those compartments like that. They sleep there. They don't get hotel rooms. Um, I'm just curious if something like that might be viable in the states, which would make it much easier for people to say, "Yeah, two drivers, no problem. Let's do that." Maybe you could build a compartment in the back lounge for a driver. What do you think, Caleb? I don't know. I don't, but, you know, it is a challenge with the two drivers now. That's the, you know, the downside to the team drivers. is, uh, yeah. And, you know, a lot of these requests that we're getting now um, for family trips uh, require two drivers to get across the country. So, um, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a challenge that people, uh, you know, the other drivers got to be on the bus with the group. Yeah, just from a personal space perspective, I would think that's got to be the hardest thing for people to, to overcome. Sure. Yeah. Well, that said, I think that's a great thought. I appreciate it. Jumping into our quick hits. Now, Doug, I know you certainly have driven buses on tour. Caleb, I'm not sure uh, if you've ever actually toured, but we always ask the first tour of our guests. Uh, Either of you, Doug, you want to jump in first? What was the first tour you were on? The very first tour I was ever on for a short period of time, believe it or not, was Cher, the Heart of Stone tour, 1990. Okay. And it's actually the last tour I was on, <laughs> 2020. <laughs> also Cher. Also Cher, yeah. Very, very nice. Interesting. And and you, Caleb, have, have you spent time on the road? Well, um, one of my first times on the road was when I was a, about 14 years old. I, um, we were doing buses for Poison at the time, and they were doing their, their leg through Florida. And they came here to our place and spent the day and um, 
So I ended up uh, jumping on the buses with them and, and doing the Florida leg with them for about three days. And uh, it was a lot of fun and pretty interesting. <laughs> All right. And uh, again, just one at a time, Doug, starting with you, do you have a single highlight, best moment, great story that you could relate to us? Uh, I would probably say that one of the high points in my in my career in the bus business was spending time with Michael Jackson. Um, and and I actually we used one of Caleb's buses on that tour and one of Caleb's drivers. And I scammed my way into being the second driver. And of course, you know, um, my Caleb, I just want to go on record right now saying I did not tear that bumper off of that bus. <laughs> That's what they all say, Doug. <laughs> but, you know, the Michael Jackson thing for me was uh, was pretty amazing. I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with him, personal time, talking for hours, been to his house, spent time at Neverland Ranch, traveled around California with him. It was it was pretty amazing, you know. And by far, and even as a kid growing up, he was one of, one of my favorite artists. So later in life in this business, I found myself hanging out with him and became friends with him, and it was uh, it was quite the experience. All right. That's a pretty good one, Caleb. Top that. Um, well, I don't know if I can top that, but yeah, I mean, just being being able to be around some of these artists uh, through the years is just it's been amazing. I mean, we've been lucky enough to have a lot of them come here to our place and see us. Uh, you know, Willie's been here several times. Uh, we're right here on a, on a near a golf course, and I got to play uh, golf with Willie and Chris Christofferson with with my dad and. Uh, just, uh, you know, meeting some of these people and they're really, you know, just, uh, uh, great, great people. And, uh, just to be involved and, uh, to be around some of them has, has been an honor. Fair enough. So I've already asked this question in some form or fashion, but we always ask if there's any one thing about the industry you think we can do better, something that we should change coming out of this virus. Doug, what would that be? You know, I studied that question and thought about it and thought about it. And, and, uh, you know, I, I I don't have the answer to it. I don't know what that would be. You know, I don't know what it is. A bigger, probably a bigger broker commission, right, Doug? Well, that would be one of the things. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah. okay, <laughs> <laughs> Mike, uh, drop. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb, why don't you chime in? That can't possibly be your answer. <laughs> no, I mean I think we're going to see a lot of changes going forward that that are going to that we you know we're we're this is going to evolve so much because of everything that's happening and um. So it just, you know, there, and, and, you know, some, it's going to make it tougher and some, a lot of it's going to be for the better. It's going to make things better. But, uh, um, yeah, one of the things that you were talking about, Matt, is that we, I, I do think that we need to work to be, work together better going forward. Like, you know, when they're booking the tours, you know, finding out if these, these drives are doable and if, if, uh, you know, the, all the different uh, pieces and if everybody could work together a little bit better to, 
to uh, set the you know to set the tour up, and um, I, I I think that would be probably one of the main things is just uh, getting everybody to work together a little better. I would agree with that, and I know we did have a tour manager on here a few weeks ago who actually said the same that the routing of tours and the communication about the process needs to be improved. Doug, anything before we move on to the next? Um, no. no. Just your commission. Got it. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's it. Gentlemen, we'll get you out of here on this. Any shout outs or parting shots? Either of you, Doug? Um, you know, I, for all the, tour managers and production managers and touring personnel out there. I just want to thank every single one of them for, for helping me and moving me along in this industry. Um, Caleb Calhoun for helping me along the way and yourself. And it's just, you know, it, it, this is, this is an amazing industry that we're in, you know, I mean, there's just, nobody has, has what we have, you know, we get to, travel the country and in your cases, the world and do fun things and share music around the world. And it's amazing. And I just want to thank everybody that has helped me along the way. And, and, uh, and we just need to stay positive and, and just keep this thing going. One thing about this industry, man, is we have thinkers and innovators and, you know, we're going to make this happen again. I appreciate that. Caleb? Yeah, I just uh, I would like to say thank you to all our team here, um, you know, from our drivers to the our team in the in the shop and um, you know, I just uh, grateful every day to to work with such a great group of people. Um, and uh, Doug, you're even part of that team from time to time, so thank you. Um, thank you. And uh, so um, yeah, just just uh, would like to thank everybody that that's involved here that helps us make it happen. Well, there it is, everybody. Doug Shea, Shea coach, Caleb Calhoun, Florida coach. You gentlemen were far too nice to each other. I am a little bit disappointed about that. I was hoping <laughs> for some more ribbing, uh, but I'm just playing. I appreciate you being with us. We had a lot of fun. We learned some new insights. We look forward to seeing the future of the coach leasing industry. I definitely want to stay up with you guys and talk more about advancements in the technology, both the hardware and the software, as coach leasing becomes more sophisticated, more technological. We, we've talked about the shift towards the concert industry becoming a technology industry, and the coach leasing business is, is definitely a part of that change. Uh, as well so we look forward to catching up with you guys again we thank you for your time to our listeners as always we appreciate you check us out at hlub podcast on instagram hustlelikeyoubroke.com send us your questions let us know your thoughts uh, to my co-hosts to the paper, paper shuffler today uh, it's been a, it's been fun we appreciate you all very much and uh, thank you and good night.